Welcome home. I'm John Hernandez, and you have tuned in to the CFA Church Podcast. If you have any questions about CFA Church, feel free to visit us at cfachurch.com. We pray that you would walk away from this moment loving Jesus and changing the world. Enjoy the podcast. Good morning. I'm so excited to be bringing God's Word to you this morning. If you'll take out your copy of God's Word and turn to the book of Ruth. We are going to be starting there in the book of Ruth. Uh, If you don't know where Ruth is, go to the book of Judges and take a right. Uh, If you find yourself at 1 Samuel, take a left. It's little four chapters right there nestled between those two books. But that's where our text is going to begin today in Ruth chapter 4, verse 17. Such a privilege to, to be with you and also welcome our, our, those who are watching on live stream. I happen to know one that is in a hospital uh, at Northeast right now. Uh, my mom has been in uh, a hospital since Thursday, and so I'm pretty sure that she's probably going to be watching today. And so we just want to send our love and our prayers to her, believing God to touch her body and uh, bring healing to her today. And also our pastor, Pastor Doug, and he and uh, his family are on vacation and uh, with a much-needed break and a much-deserved break. And so we want to send our blessings, our love uh, to their family today. And so we're, we're so glad to be in the house of the Lord together, and I believe that God has a word for us today. Today I want to talk to you about favor. Um, how many of you would like to have a little bit of favor in your life? Yeah. Amen, amen. If you didn't raise your hand, I'll take your favor. That'll be all right. Um, uh, I think a lot of times we go through life and we're wanting to find our favor, but what if instead of trying to find our favor, what if our favor is trying to find us? Uh, What if the the reason that we're not walking in favor has nothing to do with us not finding our favor, but the fact that we haven't positioned ourselves or placed ourselves somewhere that our favor can find us. And so today I want to talk about the life of Ruth and uh, talk about this woman of favor. Ruth chapter 4 verse 17 says this, The women living there said, Naomi has a son, and they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse the father of David. Now, I know it says that Naomi had a son, but the truth is that Ruth is the one who just uh, had a child. Ruth is the one who just gave birth. Um, Them saying that Naomi just had a baby is kind of like me saying that Pastor Rick and Susan just had a baby this past week, Um, which is not true. Actually, their daughter, uh, Carissa, and her husband said they had a baby this past week, and uh, we want to send our blessings to them. But how many of you know once Grandma gets her hands on the baby, it's hers? (laughs) Right? Right? Grand, they say grandchildren are, are God's reward for not killing your own. And, and, and so, there's a grandparent there that says, thank God, thank you. Um, but in this situation, Ruth is actually the person here in Ruth chapter 4, is actually Ruth is the one who just gave birth to this boy named Obed, and it is Ruth Um, who is married, and she's married to this wealthy business owner. Now she's actually um, owning the company that she once worked for. Now she finds herself where her great-great-grandson is going to end up being the king of Israel. Her further descendants down the road is going to end up going to be Jesus Christ, going to be the Savior of the world. Ruth is in a place of favor. And if we just judge Ruth's life by this moment in time, We just take the snapshot of her life. We can have a misconception about favor. The fact is that Ruth didn't just stumble upon this favor. See, favor sometimes takes a little bit of work. Look at the person beside you and say, it takes some work. Uh, Ruth didn't just happen upon this favor. She, She actually, in fact, if you were to have seen Ruth just three chapters ago, her life was a lot different. 
Um, let me say it like this. Um, you guys look really beautiful in this room today, all dressed up, smelling all wonderful, got your hair all fixed up. But if we saw you just three hours ago, <laughs> rolling out of bed, your hair all messed up, you got that halls attached to your forehead where you, you had it in your mouth during the night and somehow it made it to your forehead and you, you, you got your mouth guard in, your breath is all nasty, you got that 1998 t-shirt on that you won't, won't give away because it's just so comfortable. I'm not talking about my wife, by the way. I just, um, uh, but you know what I'm saying? If we just saw you three hours ago and we look at you now, it's a lot different. Uh, look at the person beside you and say, this, just, this don't just happen. This don't just happen. There's a little bit of work involved in this. This, there's a pro, this is a process, right? It, it, all the married men in the room said, hey, amen, we know it's a process. It's a process. But, but Ruth, if you were to say to Ruth, um, Ruth, are you your favorite? She said, yeah, but you should have seen me just three chapters ago. If we were to talk to, to uh, Joseph, who was the prince of Egypt, and we were to step into him and we'd say, wow, Joseph, you live such a favored life. You have such a blessed life. He would say, oh, you should have seen me just a few chapters ago. Yeah. He said, oh, you should have seen me when my brothers were throwing me into a pit. You should have seen me when my brothers sold me into slavery. You should have seen me when my boss's wife accused me of raping her and I got thrown in jail for something I didn't do. You should have seen me when my friends forsake me. You should have seen me in this problem. You should have just seen me a few chapters ago. Am I know what I'm talking about? Maybe somebody looks at your marriage and say, you guys have the perfect marriage, and you just want to say, you should have seen us a few chapters ago. Yeah, they, they look at you and say, wow, your kids, look at them, they just graduated, they got great jobs, they're perfect, they have perfect families, all these things, and you just want to look at them and say, you should have seen those kids three chapters ago. Maybe, maybe people look at you and they say, wow, look at your business. You're so favored. God has blessed you financially. He's given you this successful business. And you, but they weren't there whenever you were, whenever you were going to college, you're working full time. Whenever you were, um, uh, your first two businesses uh, failed, your first uh, two attempts at business failed. Whenever you ended up uh, dipping into your 401k trying to start this business and you've been putting in 20-hour days trying to get this thing up. They weren't there just a few chapters ago. And, and, and so, so today what I want to say is when we're looking at favor, sometimes when we look in someone's life, we need to look back a few chapters to understand that favor just doesn't happen. Um, favor is a process, and I want to talk about that process today. So let's go back three chapters. Let's go back to Ruth chapter 1, and let's see how this Moabite immigrant widow ended up being the Ruth of Ruth 4.17. So let's look at Ruth chapter 1, verse 1. It says, In the days when the judges ruled in Israel, a severe famine came upon the land. So let me just stop right there and just say this. that The days of Ruth's story are the days of the judges, which is the book right before the book of Ruth. And we have stories in there like the Samson and Gideon and Deborah and other stories. The, the, the uh, culture of the book of Judges, which is when this story takes place, is a culture where it says that everyone did what was right in their own eyes. In other words, their own morality was what drove them. And sometimes I worry about America today, and I wonder if we're not living in that same mentality. Where maybe that we have, we just celebrated our, our independence this past Wednesday. And is it possible that we have begun to, to confuse freedom with permissiveness? That, that maybe we, our, an individual, our rugged individualism 
Uh, we've mistaken that for um, our own personal morality. And, and I worry about America because as it happens right here in verse 1, anytime that you begin to do what is right in your own eyes, it leads to a famine. It will lead to a famine in this country if we do not right the ship. It will lead to a famine in your marriage if you don't right the ship. It will lead to a famine in my own individual life, in your own individual life, if we do what is right in our own eyes. The Bible says there's a way that seems right to man, but the end is destruction. The, it, the end of it is famine. And so that's the day and time that they were living in. There was a famine in the land. Continue to read. It says, so a man from Bethlehem in Judah left his home and went to live in the country of Moab, taking his wife and two sons with him. Stop right there. You say it's going to be a long day if we keep stopping, but I promise we're going to get through this. It says, so a man from Bethlehem. What's ironic about this is Bethlehem literally means the house of bread. So basically there was no bread in the house of bread. It's like going to Outback Steakhouse and them saying there's no steak. It's like you go into Red Lobster and they say, sorry, we don't have any lobster. It, even worse, it's like going to Cheesecake Factory and them saying, we don't have any cheesecake, right? Uh, to, go to, the, to go to Bethlehem and for there to be a famine in the house of bread, a place where that is supposed to have bread and there not be any bread, there, there's an irony to this. And, and I wonder and I worry sometimes um, that the church today, if we don't, um, if we're not careful can be called the house of God, but actually become a place where people come to meet nice people. Um, there are a bunch of nice people in the room. If you haven't met them, maybe switch sides. Um, <laughs> it might be on the other side. But there are a lot of nice people here at CFA. But let me tell you, CFA does not exist as a place for you to connect with nice people, even though we want you to connect with nice people. It's part of, part of what we do. We want you to, to have relationships with one another. But if people come into this room, if people come into our, the activities of CFA and they do not encounter God, then it's like going to the house of bread and there being no bread. Um, we have always existed to be a church that you can't wait to walk into to encounter God and a church you can't wait to walk out of to go and change the world. For 60 years, that's the kind of church that we have been, and I pray that for the next 60, it will continually be a place that when people come into this house, that they will not just meet, meet, a, meet a bunch of nice people, but they will have an encounter with God Most High. Amen? Amen. Amen. Verse 3, um, so let me continue reading there. It says, verse 2, the man's name was Elimelech, and his wife was Naomi. Their two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites, which means they, they came from a wealthy family, from Bethlehem in the land of Judah. And when they reached Moab, they settled there. So basically, what we need to understand about Moab, Moab is the place that is the enemy of God's people. So basically, Elimelech has said there's a famine in Bethlehem, and even though Bethlehem is where God has planted my family, you see, when Elimelech's family had come into the promised land, they divided the land up, and his family was given a parcel of land there in Bethlehem. He left that because of the famine and went to Moab. He left the provision and the promise of God because it seemed to be a famine and it seemed to be um, a place where he might lose his life. And so he goes to Moab, the place that is actually the enemy of God. And in verse 3 it says this, Then Elimelech died and Naomi was left with her two sons. The very thing that Elimelech was trying to avoid, death, 
um, in Bethlehem, he actually found in Moab. Let me tell you this, any time that we leave the presence of God, we leave the will of God, we leave the place that God has given us out of fear, we tend to run into the very thing we fear. And so don't leave your Bethlehem. Don't leave your place of promise. The two sons married Moabite women. One married a a woman named Orpah, the other a woman named Ruth. But about 10 years later, the boys died. Malon and Kilian died. This left Naomi without her two sons or her husband. Naomi then hears that the famine has ended in Bethlehem and she decides after these 10 long years that she's going to go back home. She's going to go back now, but when she goes back, she's returning without a husband and without her two sons. She has lost her family. What she has left are these two Moabite daughter-in-laws. And she tells them, she says, listen, if you go back with me to Bethlehem, there's not a future for you. I can't produce any more sons. There, there's no promise through me. If you're going to find um, a husband, you're, going to, you're probably not going to find it in, in Bethlehem. She said, you're going to have to go back to your people in Moab and be with them to find a husband. And so Orpah says, okay, I will go back. And so Orpah leaves. But then we find in, in uh, verse 16 that Ruth says, don't ask me to leave you and turn back. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. Wherever you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord punish me severely if I allow anything but death to separate us. When Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she said nothing more. Let me say this. The very first thing here that uh, is a characteristic of Ruth that helps her favor to find her is that she was a woman of commitment. A woman of wholehearted commitment. She, was, she, told, she told Naomi, wherever you go, I'm going to go. Your God's going to be my God. When you, wherever you die, that's where I'm going to die. That's where I'm going to be buried. I want to be fully committed to you. And in order for us to find, the, for the favor of God to find us, we have to be a people that have a wholehearted commitment, an all-in spirit. Amen? Ruth uh, 1.19 says this, So the two of them continued on the journey. So Naomi and Ruth, they're on their way. When they came to Bethlehem, the entire town was excited by their arrival. Is it really Naomi, the women asked. And Naomi says, Do not call me Naomi. The word Naomi, the name Naomi means pleasant. She said, Do not call me Naomi. Instead, call me Mara. That word means bitter. For the Lord Almighty has made life very bitter for me. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me home empty. Why call me Naomi or Pleasant when the Lord has caused me to suffer and the Almighty has sent such tragedy upon me? Um, I would say this. When I first started preparing this sermon and I got to this part here where it talks about Mara saying, don't, I mean, uh, Naomi saying, don't call me Pleasant, call me Bitter. At first, I, I was like, when I was writing it, man, I was, giving, I was giving Naomi a hard time. I, I would say, how dare she, you know, here she is a daughter of Zion. Here she is a daughter of the Lord Most High. How dare she say, don't call me pleasant, call me bitter. And then the Holy Spirit smacked me upside the head, which he tends to do. And he says, hey, don't you remember? Don't you remember those times in your life whenever you had a bitter taste in your mouth of disappointment? Uh, anybody ever had a bitter taste in your mouth of disappointment? And Naomi, is, she has this taste in her mouth. She has this bitterness in her mouth, and, and she can't shake it. And, and let me just say, it is the natural response for us when we go through difficult times and difficult circumstances for there to be a bitter taste in our mouth. 
That's the natural response. But God has not called us to be a natural people. He's called us to be a supernatural people. And we have to make a decision. Are we going to let that bitterness stay in our mouth? Or are we going to replace that bitterness with something like this? The Bible says, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Sometimes we have to replace that bitterness in our mouth with, with Jesus. Sometimes, I said in the first service, it's kind of silly, but I think it might stick in your mind. Sometimes we need to replace that halitosis with some holytosis. <laughs> Sometimes you need a praise mint. You know, you, you, got that, you got that breath that is bitter, and sometimes we need to, to be like the psalmist when he says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. I want a praise to be in my mouth. And when a praise gets in your mouth, it will change that bitterness to joy. It will change your bitterness. It will change that spirit that Naomi had come to identify with and own. She had instead changed. Uh, we can have that change in our heart from bitterness to joy. I want to replace that bitterness in my mouth with a praise. Amen? Let's continue to read. We're going to do a lot of reading of the Bible today. It's okay to read the Bible in church. Amen? Amen. Ruth chapter 2 verse 1 says this, Now there was a wealthy and influential man in Bethlehem named Boaz, who was a relative of Naomi's husband, Elimelech. One day Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go out into the harvest fields to pick up the stalks of grain left behind by anyone who is kind enough to let me do it. Naomi replied, all right, my daughter, go ahead. So Ruth went out to gather grain behind the harvesters, and as it happens, she found herself working in a field that belonged to Boaz, the relative of her father-in-law, Elimelech. So what we see here is this, is that Naomi and Ruth, they come back to Bethlehem, but now they're poor, they're widows, they do not have any possessions, and they are hungry. And Ruth says, let me go to work. The second thing about favor is this. Favor has a tendency to follow hard work. Sometimes, we don't all like that. But sometimes, favor, favor has a tendency to follow. Luck, there's a saying that says luck favors the prepared. That there is something about whenever we are willing to get up a little bit early in the morning, when we're able to put in a little bit extra hours, Favor has a tendency to follow somebody that's willing to put in the work. And Ruth said, let me go into the field and let me do some work. Now, here's the thing about this field. This was the situation. God had set up in the economy of Israel a way to take care of widows, orphans, and foreigners. And De De Deuteronomy chapter 24 verse 19 says this. When you are harvesting your crops forget to, and you forget to bring in a bundle of grain from your field, don't go back to get it. Leave it for the foreigners, orphans, and widows. Then the Lord your God will bless you in all that you do. How many of you want to be blessed in all that you do? Yeah. I want to be blessed in all I do. What it says here is this. is He says that when you're working in the field and you get up to the barn and you look back and you realize you left some in the field, He's saying, don't go back and get it. It's not yours anymore. Now it belongs to the widows, the orphans, and the foreigners. He says, now you're going to, keep, um, um, you're going to get to keep what you have with you, but what's left in the field is now meant for the poor, the orphan, and the widow. Verse 20 says this, when you beat the olives from your olive trees, don't go over the boughs twice. Leave the remaining olives for the foreigners, orphans, and widows. 21, when you gather the grapes in your vineyard, don't glean the vines after they are picked. Leave the remaining grapes for the foreigners, orphans, and widows. Verse 22, remember that you were slaves in the land of Egypt. 
That is why I'm giving you this command. God had established in his economy, and by establishing it in the economy of the people of Israel, it was symbolic of the fact that it was important to him and to his heart. James even tells us that pure religion is to take care of the widows and orphans. This is a part of what, what matters to God, and he set it up in this economy that, that for those that were willing to go out there into the field, they were able to go out there and glean and to be fed. Verse 20 says this, remember that you were slaves in the land of Egypt. In other words, he tells them, you need to remember that you once had it hard too. Um, there is nothing, there, one of the worst side effects, one of the worst side effects of prosperity is amnesia. Sometimes we forgot, sometimes we forget how we got where we are. Sometimes we forget what it was like to be hungry. He tells them, it's possible that you might forget that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. You might forget that you were once hungry, that you were once orphaned, that you were once a slave. And, and so I'm putting this in there to remind you. I want you to remember that you once were a foreigner as well. Can, can I just say this this morning, and, and I want you to know my heart. I'm not speaking this as a politician, as an as American. I'm saying this as a pastor. Okay, as a pastor to the church, that God's heart and God's um, compassion is always been towards those that are hurting. You and I were hurting, amen? God's heart came to us. And what I see in our, going on in our country today is I, it seems like that we have some people that have forgotten, or we as a nation seem to have forgotten that we were all foreigners, immigrants at one point. When I say this, uh, that there might be, and I know that I've got, I've got some friends in here that I know, there might be a few Native Americans in the room, but for the rest of us, figuratively speaking, we, we came here on a boat. We might have owned the boat. We might have bought a ticket on the boat. We might have been in chains at the bottom of the boat, but we all came here on a boat. And, and God is saying that that if you're not careful, you will forget where you came from. And when you forget where you come, came from, you have a tendency to start treating people that came from where you came from differently. And I think that it's important for us as the church to remember in the cult, in the environment that's going on, where people are trying to, to um, uh, figure out what is going on at the borders, trying to figure out with immigration. And I'm a rules guy. I'm all for rules. I'm all for systems and all those sorts of things. But So I'm speaking today not as a politician trying to fix Washington because that's above my pay grade. <laughs> I am speaking today as a pastor speaking to the church that if we want to be blessed in all that we do, if we want to be a people that represent the heart of God, then we have to be careful that we take care of the widows, the orphans, and the immigrants. Now, Boaz knew that, that the people in the field were likely to give Ruth a hard time. And so in verse 8, he says this, Boaz went over and said to Ruth, Listen, my daughter, stay right here with us when you gather grain. Don't go into any other field. Stay right behind the young women working in the, my field. Verse 9, See which part of the field they are harvesting and then follow them. I have warned the young men not to treat you roughly. And when you are thirsty, help yourself to the water they have drawn from the well. This idea of being unkind to immigrants didn't, is not something that just started in 2016. 
This is something that's been going on for thousands of years. There's a, there's a natural thing in mankind to become nationalistic and to become um, um, uh, separatist in a way, protectionist. And he knew that, and he also knew that, that her being a widow, her being um, poor, and being an immigrant, she was likely to be mistreated in this field. And so Boaz stepped up, and he told the men working for him, he said, do not treat her roughly. What we need in America today are a few more Boazes. Some people that will stand up and say, hey, I don't, it's not a matter where they come from, it's not, but we don't have to treat people roughly. We can be kind and show the love and grace of Jesus. We need a few more Boazes in our country today. Um, you, don't, you, don't have to, you don't have to shout me down on this, but I, 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 here, here's my concern. I've already stepped in it, so I might as well get all in. <laughs> Sometimes I think that we as evangelical Christians, we lose our, our uh, moral authority whenever we say that we are pro-life, but actually what we really, but what we really are is we're pro-women having babies. We're not pro-life. Um, <laughs> you see, Pro-life to me means that I am pro from conception to the final heartbeat. And, and what, what I want, what I believe is this. I believe that what we're going through as a country right now is, is, is God's way of dividing and, and there being a line of demarcation between Americanism and the church. And what I mean by that is I know that there are some people that spend more time on Facebook and more passionate. They're more passionate. They, they spend more time worrying and consumed about whether or not somebody has their name in our citizen's record, rather uh, 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 whether their name is in our citizen record or their name is in the Lamb Book of Life. And, and I believe that what's happening right now is that we are going to find that there are a lot of people that have confused Americanism with Christianity. And, and, and let, me, let me just let you know, when you stand before the king, he's not going to say, are you American citizen? He's going to look into the Lamb's Book of Life. I know this isn't popular in this room, all right? I hope, I hope it's more popular than I feel like it might be. I just, I just, I just watch the news. And I hear people that are spewing a lot of hate. And they're doing it in the name of being an evangelical Christian. And let me just say, let me just say, I, I, I want you to know, I'm, I'm, I feel like Paul whenever he had to talk to the people in Galatians. He'd say, listen guys, when it comes to the law, I used to really be in the law. I used to be a Pharisee of Pharisees. I used to be, I feel like I need to tell everybody, listen, listen, I'm, I'm not saying I'm not, I'm not conservative. I'm not saying, what I'm saying today is this, is... When people come across the borders into this country, I don't want to represent America. I want to represent Jesus Christ. God has not called me to be the face of America. He's called me to be the face of Jesus Christ to this culture and to this world. And that's what I'm asking you and I to be. Let's be some Boaz people who are going to stand up for 
for what is right. I promised you I'd move on, and now I'm going to move on. Here we go. You still love me? You still love me? Okay. All right. Chapter 2, verse 10. Ruth fell at his feet and thanked him warmly. What have I done to deserve such kindness, she asked. I am only a foreigner. Verse 11. Yes, I know, Boaz replied, but I also know about everything you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. I have heard how you left your father and mother and your own land to live here among complete strangers. May the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge, reward you fully for what you have done. When Ruth went back to work again, Boaz ordered his young men, let her gather grain right among the sheaves without stopping her, and pull out some heads of barley from the bundles and drop them on purpose for her. Let her pick them up and don't give her a hard time. So Ruth now is in this field, and Boaz says, I want you to stay in my field, and I'm I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna, um, um, I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to make sure that you're protected in my field as long as you stay in my field. And then he goes to his servants and he says this. He says, listen, the law says that if you accidentally leave something uh, in the field, then the widow, the orphan, and the foreigner are able to get it. He says, what I'm telling you is I don't want you to act according to the law. I want you to act according to love. I want you to start leaving stuff on purpose. Look at the person beside you say, on purpose. Now, now if you have not grabbed it in this story yet, I want you to know you are Ruth. God is Boaz. And I'm so thankful that God does not treat me according to the letter of the law. But he treats me according to the law of grace. That he doesn't say yes you can get what's, what's ga- you can gather what I accidentally leave behind, but, but he begins to leave stuff on purpose. Listen, <laughs> oh, this, is excite- this excites me because, because I know that if God treated me according to the law, I know what I get. I'm going to hell. If God treats you the way the law says you should be treated, I want you to know you're going to hell. But I'm so thankful that my heavenly Father has left grace, 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 grace. And as I walk through this life, as I walk through the fields of this life, there are grace, grace, grace for me. I'm so thankful for the grace of God, aren't you? I'm so thankful for a loving Father. So I love this picture because what we see here is this, is that Ruth now has moved into this place of favor. Favor found her in the field. See, what I feel like God has told me and encouraged me to speak to you today is this, is your favor is found in the field. For some of us, we have been waiting in order to find our favor before we get into the field. If I can just get good enough, then I will get into the field. If, if, if I can just find a husband, then I'll go on the mission field. <laughs> if, if I can just, if God will provide for me, then I will step out in, into the field. And what God wants me to speak to some people in this room today is the favor that you're looking for is actually found in the field. It's found in you finding a place of serving. Here at CFA, one of the things that we say is that we believe everyone can walk in the favor of God whenever you 
find your place in, one of three, in, in these three areas, all three of these areas, worship, connect, and serve. Ruth, we find that in, in Ruth chapter 1 that she makes a commitment to worship Jehovah God. She tells Naomi that your God is going to be my God. Boaz even uh, takes note here and says that she has placed herself under the, the shelter of the Almighty. She's found her place of worship. She's connected herself to Naomi. And now we find that she is serving here in the field. And by all those things coming together, she has put herself into a place that favor can find her. Um, there's a, a couple examples of this that I want, I want to kind of show you this morning of, of how favor can find you in the field. There's a couple here at our church. Um, we, we've known Danielle for uh, quite some time. But... Um, um, a little, a little while back, uh, Danielle and Esteban uh, Salazar, they met while she was over uh, learning some Spanish and stuff in uh, Costa Rica. And um, they fell in love, and uh, they got married. And it, back in 2010, um, uh, he immigrated here to the United States. And since being here uh, in, in the country uh, and, and getting his citizenship and all of that, um, he has not been able to find work in the area that, where his passion was and where his heart was and where he felt like that he was trained for because he was trained as a, gra a graphic designer. He was trained in sound and media. He was trained in all these different areas, but he wasn't able to find, um, find that job. He wasn't able to find that favor uh, from someone to, to be able to work in, the, in that field. So a couple of years ago, um, they, God uh, spoke to them and told them to start attending CFA. Now, that may not seem like a big deal to you, um, but you got to know they lived um, on, in Dallas, on, you know, Gastonia, Dallas, not Texas, Dallas, but, but Gastonia, Dallas, on the other side of, of Charlotte. And, and if you don't know, that's like another country too, right? <laughs> <laughs> I worked in Gastonia for eight years, I, I know. I had to get my green card every time I left uh, Gastonia to Charlotte. Um, it's his own world. It's his own place. Um, but, but basically, over a 45-minute drive every time they came to church. Well, they didn't just start coming to church here, but being the kind of people that they are, um, if you look, see her over here, she's got her VIP shirt on. She immediately got involved in, in first impressions and, and helping greet new people. Uh, Steven, he's right here on the keyboard right here behind me. And he got involved with uh, playing the keys, also uh, doing live stream and helping mix with live stream. They, they started serving. Uh, back in the, the fall of last year, uh, God spoke to them whenever we started promoting our, our trip to Puerto Rico for a missions trip to go and help rebuild from the hurricane. And God spoke to them to go. They weren't sure how they were going to be able to afford to go. They weren't sure how uh, um, uh, the, the way was going to be made uh, for them to be able to go. But they knew that God had called them to that field. And so they stepped out in faith. God provided this past spring. They were able to go with our, our missions, on our missions trip to Puerto Rico and serve those that are hurting there in Puerto Rico. All this time, he's still looking for that job. He's still looking for that favor, that, that, uh, that blessing uh, to be able to work in the area that it feels like God's called him to. Well, this past January, God spoke to them and said, now I want you to connect. Now I want you to get in a connect group. And uh, specifically, told him to, to get involved in the connect group that, that Brandy and I host at our home. And so in January, they started attending our connect group. Once again, let me, let me re remind you. So before 8 o'clock on Sunday morning, they have to get here. So that means they got a 45-minute drive with a one-year-old, <laughs> a two-year-old, almost three now, just two. And uh, 
And so they're driving 45 minutes here in the morning to get here by 8 o'clock. Then after church, they're driving home. And then they're turning around on Sunday night and coming back to a connect group. And How many of you know you could find a thousand reasons to give to the Lord on why this is not a good idea? Right? But, but God told him to do it. God told him to connect. God told him to get involved. And so, uh, so they did, and they remained faithful. And they had honestly come to a place where they were wondering, oh, how long are we going to keep this up? Maybe this isn't that, such a great idea. But, but about a month ago, one of the uh, husbands of one of the people in our group, he, he had not been able to attend before because of working out of town. He attended. And during our prayer time, we're praying for them, and we're praying for, for a job to open up and, and those sorts of things. And... After the, the uh, connect group is over, he connects with Esteban and says, hey, I know somebody. And, and they gives him a name. Within three days, he has interviewed, hired, and on the job, right? He has, listen. Now, here's why I give you that story is this, is, is that in our mind, we're like, why why drive 45 minutes to come to CFA? Why, why serve when you have to get there so early? Why go to a connect group on Sunday night? Then there's a way you can find a connect. But when God tells you and directs your path and says, get in this field, you need to get in that field. Because God's provision and his blessing and his favor for you is in that field. Thank you so much for joining us. Here at CFA Church, it is our deepest hope that you have found the place that you can call home. For more information about this community or to find out how you can connect, simply head over to cfachurch.com where you can plan a visit right from the website. It is our prayer that you will continue to love Jesus and change the world. God bless you.